Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets, presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming, and with us today is a leading lady in the radio industry, a woman who runs a top-notch organization that serves listeners in Western Kentucky and Tennessee. Their stations have won three Marconis, and in a typical year, they broadcast over 70 local events in a year. We're thrilled to welcome Beth Mann, president of Ham Broadcasting, owner of WKDZ-FM, as well as a number of other small market gems. Beth, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I'm uh, most looking forward to hearing your cool radio story as well. But first, I want to make a few programming notes uh, before we begin. I'm going to remind our listeners that we're recording this during the COVID-19 crisis, which has obviously had a tremendous impact on all of our businesses, radio not excluded. And though we're beginning to see some reopening and still some signs out there that uh, we need to slow down, perhaps we're still in a state of unknown. And we're going to hear Beth's thoughts on the coronavirus as well as the impact on her business. But we're going to table that towards the second half of our show. I'd also like to inform our listeners that we'll hear from Attorney John Garziglia during the Ask John segment, where we ask John about a pressing legal matter in the radio world. And then we will check in with John Wanzung at the near end of our show. He's from Radio Max, and he'll give us some insight in our audio column that we call Digging Into Digital. First things first, Beth, let's start at the very beginning. I am always curious to hear the answer to this one that I start the interviews off with. What was your radio job number one? I spent 10 years in television first, but my first uh, love for radio started when I was just a kid, seven or eight years old. I was growing up in Elkton, Kentucky, and uh, they were building a, a little local AM station there, WEKT. And uh, my parents divorced when I was seven, so I was at my grandmother's house a lot. And they were building this station directly across the street from her. And uh, I came home one day, seven, eight years old, and I said, Mom, when I grow up, I'm going to own radio stations. And it's all I've ever wanted to do. But I did take a detour. I, my first uh, job, real paying job in broadcasting was in low power uh, television. And uh, I spent 10 years there. Uh, very honored to be part of a community broadcast station of the year, three or four years in a row. And I then had a chance to uh, hit radio. I did that in uh, 1994. I was able to come to Katy's, Kentucky, and be the general manager of a station that was owned by DJ Edward III, and he was my station manager when I was in television. All right. So at eight years old, <laughs> you yeah. said, I'm going to own radio stations. That's terrific. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Crazy. And it's truly all I've ever wanted to do. I mean, I spent my whole life all the way through uh, school, high school, college. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, every course I took uh, was was with the idea that I would someday uh, be in broadcasting and, and hopefully someday on radio stations. So <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, be careful what you <laughs> wish for, right? Because your dream came true. Yeah, you did not get it. <laughs> 
Very true. Okay, so this supercharged eight-year-old ends up growing up and eventually works at the radio station, but now you're the owner of the station. When and how did that transpire? So interestingly, uh, I, I came here as manager in in uh, 1994, and um, I did business with uh, DJ Everett, who then also left the TV station at the same time. We both came here. This is our anniversary, as a matter of fact, uh, right before uh, the 1st of July. And um, in, I became owner in 2015, and that was a result of DJ uh, passed away, and uh, I had an opportunity to become owner. Well, certainly some sad circumstances by which uh, you became the owner, but you've been there for five years as the owner now. How is that going for you? It's been terrific. Uh, it it uh, 2015 was, was a, a year that we really focused a lot on growing out our digital division. I was fortunate enough to have already been managing the station for 20 years but when I became owner. So I felt I knew the market very well, and we've grown a lot since 2015. We've added some other radio stations to our mix, and I really got even heavier into the digital world. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm truly living a childhood dream. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I do want to dig into some of those digital initiatives that you have there. But first, uh, let's back up first and talk a little bit about the market. Uh, Cadiz, I believe it's pronounced. It's Cadiz. Katie's, and mm-hmm. uh, it kind of serves Western Kentucky, Tennessee, pretty unique part of the world there. Why don't you tell us about that market? Yeah, it's actually, a, I think, a very good market to be in. Um, it's just slightly uh, slightly underrated. At, at one time, uh, we were a rated market maybe around uh, 200, 205, something like that, uh, because we sit right on the state line. We're in the Kentucky, Kentucky-Tennessee border, and... Um, we have a, a large city of Clarksville, Tennessee, in our coverage area, which is the fastest growing city in the United States of America. And in between Clarksville and Hopkinsville, the two larger cities, is Fort Campbell Military Base. And that is the home of the 101st Airborne Division. So we have a strong military influence in our market. Um, we also have uh, land between the lakes, which is Kentucky's number one tourism destination. That, that is a home county of our station of license for uh, WKDZ FM and AM. And then we have one of the top agriculture markets in the state of Kentucky. Uh, our, our five county region uh, ranks in the very top of agriculture producing uh, counties for the state of Kentucky. So we have a nice mix of agriculture, tourism, and military that greatly impact our market. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a diverse kind of economic place, and so therefore you're not necessarily uh, going up and down with the typical swings of some markets that are very reliant on a certain industry. That has really helped a lot. Um, our military, of course, greatly impacts our our economy here. Um, and when I very first started in the business as sales manager, my first job as sales manager happened uh, literally right as Desert Storm happened. And um, all of our troops, 35,000 troops, left the community immediately, and it was it was horrible. We lost revenue. 40% of our television revenue went away literally in a week or two. Um, but now they rotate military out differently. We never really even know when they come and go because we never have a massive deployment all at one time, and that has improved a lot. Typically, uh, 
when the economy is good in some directions will be some years that agriculture will be off, but then agriculture offsets some uh, years where uh, ag is sometimes almost opposite of your normal economy. So like right now during COVID, agriculture has been very good this year. And that really does help us to be a little more diversified. Yeah. And that seems to maybe be able to balance out some income, but at the same time, you have to probably be ready to sort of shift focus uh, when those kinds of things set in. Absolutely. I mean, we have to be flexible and we have to be able to move pretty quickly. And um, you learn to do that when you've been in the same market forever. I've been literally in this market in the Hopkinsville, Clarksville uh, market uh, since 1984. Oh, so yeah. I've got a pretty good feel for the for the market and how to respond to it. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure you've seen ups and downs. And as I said, we're obviously in a, a little bit of a down right now, but I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But let's get back to that community. Obviously, the key to any radio station and uh, particularly Marconi Award winners is their ability to connect to the community. Uh, certainly a calling card there of you folks. What what are some of the things you do specifically to try and make sure you're always on the heartbeat of that community and connecting with it? There are many things. Um, one thing we do is we like to hire local people uh, who love the community. If I don't have to teach someone to love the community they're serving, then we're way down the road already. Um, so we hire people who are service-driven, people who are active in the community, uh, people who already uh, find uh, love in the community and love for the community, that makes it a lot easier for us to, to uh, get that employee further down the road much more quickly. Um, we're very active. Um, every person on my staff is involved in either, either their church or Rotary Club or Optimist Club or Kiwanis Club. Um, we're very service-driven individuals. And uh, I think that's a real key as well. Uh, we understand service, and it's not something I have to beg someone to go do. Uh, I, I let people sign up for the things they're passionate about. So if they, you know, have had uh, cancer events in their lives and their family, then they're more likely to want to uh, work hard to raise money for Relay for Life. Uh, if I have uh, individuals who have had heart health in their family, they're maybe more likely to want to spend extra time helping to raise money for the Heart Walk and the American Heart Association. So a lot of it is matching the right people up with the right cause. Um, I'm past president of our Rotary Club and of our Chamber of Commerce and uh, several other organizations. We really encourage that and we help pay the um, the fees for our employees to be a part of those clubs and organizations. So we feel that's very, very important. Um, I think I think it really gets down to understanding that it is part of our honor uh, to be able to be uh, locally focused. You know, we focus on our main street and we don't have Wall Street to answer to. We don't have boards. We don't have stockholders. It's just me um, and, and our leadership team. And, and so we're able to really take on our causes. And then when we do that, I try to give my team a total, we call it green light go in our company. And when I say green light go, they know that means that use every platform, use anything that we have, every tool in our tool chest to make that event a success. 
So it seems like you personally empower them. Then if they come up with an idea, then you feel there's a sense of ownership there. And then you're going to say, okay, go do it. So that's what is that green light go means to them? I think so. I, I think they know that when it's green light go, it means you have total support from one end of the building to the other, that we're going to work to make it successful. And many times when we're deciding if we're going to do an event or if we're going to do uh, something in our community, we will have conversation about, are we passionate enough about this to do it at 110%? And if we're not really passionate about it, we need to pass on it because it's going to come across as very average. Um, we don't accept average in our company in, in any regard. It doesn't matter whether it's sales or programming or whether it's uh, uh, service to the community. I mean, average just isn't acceptable here. Uh, we want to be exceptional at the things we do. And I don't think you can be exceptional at something that you really are not passionate about. So sometimes we'll do the passion test. You know, do you really believe strongly enough in what you're being asked to do with that event or with that club and organization? Are you passionate enough about it to really do exceptional work for it? Well, and obviously they they respond and they're doing that. And I want to talk to in a moment about some of those specific events just to give our listeners an idea of the kinds of things you do down there. But let's stay with the hiring process and the recruitment in particular. I'm curious about you say you find people, you want to hire people that are service driven. They're already involved in their community. Are you actively recruiting? You know, do you go to a fundraiser and you see, my, that person is really into this. This is the kind of drive we're looking for. I'm looking for people always um, because I, I like to hire the person and then I will train them to do the things that we need them to do. Um, rarely ever do I hire someone and they end up in the position I actually hired them to do initially. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't blessed with that beautiful voice, as you can hear, and I'm not blessed with that uh, on-air presence. But I think maybe one of my blessings is I can find talent and ability and I can maximize that with people. And uh, I really focus a lot on training and I focus on putting the right person uh, in the right seat on the bus and making sure that we have people that can grow and maximize their ability uh, in the opportunities that we present for them. So I really, I spend a lot of time on personnel. It's not, it's not just a filling out of an EEO form for me. I mean, I really work hard to develop a terrific team. Well, I, I think you hit on obviously a core foundation of good management. And when you said, you know, I think it's the good to great comment about putting the, um, people in the right seat of the bus, uh, you, you, hired this person because you thought they were a good person, but then you have that flexibility. It seems like, you know, week, two three months into somebody's employment, say you're a good person, but you're not, we don't have you in the right job. Is that kind of the situations you find sometimes in, and then you will change their role? Well, sometimes um, I don't have very many people who only do one thing. Um, uh, we really, almost everyone here can do multiple jobs and, we do that for one, it keeps people entertained. It keeps them interested. It keeps them doing some things they enjoy. We all do some things we don't enjoy so much, but if you get to do a lot of things that you do enjoy, you'll do those other things uh, more willingly because it leads to getting to do more of what you really like. But I mean, we've been known to, to hire someone and later find that they have some skills or some background that we weren't even aware of. And that gives us a chance to build our product around that. Um, 
you know, we've, we've been known to add an agriculture show, an hour of programming, because we had someone with an ag degree, although he was working in our newsroom. So uh, it, it, uh, it, to me, it, it's trying to really explore what someone is capable of doing and would be challenged to do and could do successfully with the tools and resources. And I just try to be sure, you know, we're providing the tools and resources to help each person uh, grow individually. And, you know, you, in my mind, you grow your whole by growing the parts. So as each person on our team develops and gets better at what they do, it makes our whole better. Um, so that's kind of how we focus is one, each person, maximizing each person's ability. Well, it's obviously working for you. Um, and now you've had this staff on hand, very driven people, socially conscious minded of their community. What are some of those events just to give our listeners an idea of the kinds of things you're doing locally that, that kind of stick out in your mind as some of the kind of cornerstone events of the radio stations there? We do dozens and dozens of fundraisers, um, our largest one being the Katie's Rotary Radio Auction, which has been on the air since 1966, the same year the radio station signed on the air. We teamed, the Rotary Club was formed in that year, and we've had a Rotary Radio Auction every year. Um, that auction is the highest per capita in the world of fundraisers. And um, we raise normally somewhere between two hundred and thirty-five to three hundred thousand dollars in a county of thirteen thousand people. Oh, and uh, it's a week-long radio auction, and you know I'm heavily involved in that, as I said, past president, and my whole staff's involved in it. Either they donate, or they attend, or they volunteer their time that week, or um, uh, you know they we're all in. We're all in that. Uh, we do live broadcast from there uh, in our afternoon drive shows leading up to the auction getting started that evening. And uh, it's an all-in kind of thing. And But it's part of our reputation. It's carried on our stations. It's branded with us. And so we understand that when the auction doesn't do well, it reflects on us too. And so we take that as our own and, and we commit to that as though we were all Rotarians. Uh, this year, right in the middle of the pandemic, the auction was supposed to have been April, uh, the week of April 15th. Um, that was clearly not going to happen because, you know, our governor had mandated, uh, you know, no crowds. And so very long story short, uh, we did a rally for Rotary. We changed it to two nights. It was on a Thursday and Friday night, April 16th and 17th. And we put over 300 items in our online digital store. Uh, called Big Deals, and uh, we sold those items um, and took bids uh, for a few days, and they all sold on Friday night at 9 o'clock, and we did a two-hour, I'm sorry, a two-night uh, radio show that talked about all the benefits of Rotary and why it was very important that we do well uh, during the uh, pandemic and where the money, where all the proceeds of the auction go. And we raised $226,000 right in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, and that's pretty impressive for this community. I mean, that is truly a community that believes in you. They believe in your Rotary Club, and they believe in the power of taking care of our youth and seniors with those proceeds. And uh, that was a turning point for us during the pandemic. I mean, it was at that point, it's like, we're not, uh, we're not just going to put our head in the sand and go home. We're going to work. Well, that must have been extremely rewarding for you as the business owner to have that kind of response from your staff. And what I'd like to get into is how and what you did specifically, 
uh, in the troubled times of coronavirus and what you're continuing to do, because I think our listeners will really find your attitude and uh, your strategies to be significant and real important at this time. First, we're going to take a short break where we're going to hear from John Garziglia on a legal matter, and then we'll return to hear the cool radio story of Beth Mann. It's time to Ask John, a regular feature where we ask John Garziglia, a partner with the FCC law firm Womble, Carlisle, Sandridge, and Rice, about legal matters facing the broadcast radio industry. Checking the email bag here for John. Being that this is a podcast, let's ask about podcasting. Uh, John, a radio station asks, they have their music licenses for over-the-air broadcast. Uh, they are getting into the podcast business with some of their programming elements. Is their music license good for podcasting? No. Um, Sound Exchange and most ASCAP and BMI agreements only cover broadcast and real-time streaming of music. Podcasting is the rec- recordation of music played back on demand, and those licenses do not cover that type of activity with the content. Now, there is some music that's specifically licensed for use in podcasts, but generally, if, uh, if it's music that you would uh, normally play on a radio station, it's not cleared for use in podcasts. Rather, if a podcaster wants to use a specific, specific cut of, of music in a podcast, uh, the right to do so has to be individually sought from both songwriters and those who hold the rights to the song, and for those, uh, and and also from those who who hold the rights to the recording. There are several rights that have to be sought. It's sort of like uh, uh, a movie maker using music in a movie. Each use of music in a movie is, for the most part, individually licensed. Also worth worth mentioning here is uh, that there is no 30 or 20 second rule nor does fair use generally apply to using music in a podcast. First of all, fair use is a defense, and that can only be invoked after you're sued, so the goal should be uh, not to be sued. And second, the application of fair use is generally narrow, and for music, would most likely be limited to just using a snippet of music for something uh, like critical commentary and certainly not playing the whole song. Finally, it's worth noting that not just music is copyrighted, but for podcasts, uh, uh, you can't use anything uh, without, uh, that, that somebody else created without obtaining a license or consent. This applies to any content created by somebody else. Thus, a podcast presenter can't read the text of a book or a magazine article without clearance to do so, unless it's just using a sentence or two for critical commentary under fair use. And if you are sued for a copyright violation, the penalties assessed by a court can be substantial, anywhere from $500 to $150,000 per violation. We're back to hear more of the cool radio story of Beth Mann. When we uh, left for the Ask John break, we were talking about a very successful fundraiser that the radio stations did right in the middle of the coronavirus crisis that raised over $200,000, a remarkable project. And Beth, I'd like to kind of continue on the conversation since we started about coronavirus. Tell us what the station uh, did initially, what you did afterwards, and what you will continue to do going forward to help uh, not just survive, but to thrive during the crisis. Boy, that's a loaded up question. Um, First of all, we never went home. Um, we split our shifts uh, with our air staff uh, where some would come in early and leave earlier in the day and the set, we would do a cleaning and then the second group would come in. 
uh, mid-afternoon and carry through the night. Uh, when, when all of this very first started, uh, I sent communication to everyone on our payroll, and I said to them, you know, we've never encouraged unemployment in our company. Uh, in fact, you know, if we do have to let someone go, there's, you know, there's a case file an inch thick. I wait too long to fire. I've always waited too long. Uh, but I said to them, you know, if you feel more safe to go home and you want to go home, you know, I will help you with your unemployment. We'll do whatever we need to do to keep you safe. And at that point, that, that email went to 37 people. And not a single person on my team said, pick me. I want to go home. They all said, we want to go to work. So at that point, you know, I had to make a decision to say, okay, then what things will I do to put safety measures in place and to be able to provide an environment that's good for my team. Um, and, you know, it was an emotional roller coaster, just like it was for everyone else that's, that's in any business, not just broadcasting. Um, you don't know which day you're going to be losing business and which day you might actually find some business under a rock. And, but what I knew for sure was that I had a team completely and totally committed, 100% committed to do what they needed to do for our community. And if that doesn't motivate you to get out of bed and go to work every day and stay focused and be positive, then you can't be motivated. So, um, I've, you know, I worked probably more hours and put more time in this company during COVID than I ever have in my life. And I was already accused of being a workaholic, but, um, it, it was for all the right reasons. It was to super serve our communities who trust us with all that they have and to super serve my team who was willing to put themselves at risk in order to serve the communities. So I had a lot of reasons to get up and to really uh, push hard uh, to, to push our way through the pandemic. We've, we did, uh, we, we covered every governor's uh, media conference live every single day on all seven of our radio frequencies. Uh, we covered all of the Fort Campbell military uh, media conferences live weekly. We covered all of the health department media conferences live from day one, seven days a week. And um, we, we have a very aggressive news department. Our company's founded on news. We have classic hits, oldies, and country. But what we're known for in, in this part of the state is our news presence. And uh, we do, we do four-hour morning shows with no music. We do a noon newscast that's an hour long on all stations. A five o'clock newscast that's an hour long on all stations. I mean, we're heavy, heavy, heavy in the news business. So our news department had to go to work. So we brought a couple of guys from our sports department over to work news so that they would have extra help. And we've actually done more news rather than less news during the pandemic. But that's pretty typical for our company. Uh, we kind of tend to do the opposite of what other people do. We call it zigging and zagging. You know, our competitors zig and we zag. And when we feel that, uh, you know, our competitor is going to cut back or do less or back up or go home, uh, then we're going to do more. We're going to invest more. We're, we're going to, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. And uh, I think COVID has presented our company with some opportunities to grow. And uh, so we're, we're in growth mode and we're going to try to stay focused on that uh, as we work our way out of whatever COVID's leaving behind for us. Well, Beth, thanks for sharing that whole story and uh, sequence with us because I'm sure it certainly was not easy to send that initial email, but that response must have been rewarding. But I think what your story typifies there is the definition 
of the word leadership and how you took control of the situation and led by example. And then once the troops said, hey, we're all in, uh, you, you made sure there was something productive and uh, forward-looking for them to do, as you continue to do. Uh, I believe that radio stations as a whole have this opportunity, like you, to connect even more so. And uh, the question I have for you is, how has the community responded to your presence during in the marketplace during COVID and uh, your businesses as well? It's been overwhelming uh, in, in a very, very good way. Uh, we're down uh, in revenue, but we're down less than double digit. We're single digit down. And I think that's a blessing. You know, when I've talked with many of my fellow broadcasters all across the country and across the world for that matter, um, you know, many are down 30, 35, 40%, 50%. And um, we're down in single digit, but we have literally recreated or created reasons uh, to not be down. Uh, our community, uh, we did a greatest comeback of all time campaign that we launched very, very early on, uh, long before businesses were open. We, we designed this whole campaign while our businesses were closed uh, with the point that we would be the mouthpiece of small business. And so we we bought three by 20 banners. We hung them over all of the towns that we serve uh, on the main streets that talked about support local and be a part of the greatest comeback of all time. We invested a lot of money in the message, a positive message of let's support our local community. They need us. Uh, I, I did some, I, I never do editorials, but I did uh, for greatest comeback to talk about why it's so important to support local. And we very much took a leadership role in our communities to help people understand why it's so incredibly important to support our local mom and pop shops uh, and what our community would look like without that. We did a whole news series. I brought a, an extra reporter in who's a college student that does some work for us. Her job was to do nothing but positive comeback stories. Every single day, she wrote stories that were how our restaurants were adjusting or how our industries were adjusting or how the glass company was going into the plexiglass business or uh, how the uh, moonshine distillery had converted to a hand sanitizer company. We did tons and tons and tons of stories. Um, we designed extra web pages that just had all of the COVID information and all of those greatest comeback stories there. Um, we saw record numbers. We're still seeing record numbers on all of our websites, record uh, open rates on our email marketing campaigns, um, unbelievable growth uh, for the use of our product. And that's where I'm saying that's a real opportunity for us because I feel confident that we picked up brand new people who maybe were not listeners or were not users of our website or had never signed up for our email, but they have now. Uh, that will stay with us because we provided a quality product that was valuable to them in one of the lowest points of their life. So this is a growth opportunity. And I, I've, you know, I've tried to share that whole mindset with my, with my fellow broadcasters. This is an opportunity for radio and digital to do what we do and to show the power of the combination of those um, to, to show how that can be incredibly successful. Uh, you are a living example, and the fact that you're down ever so slightly is, is of course, a testament. I know as we've spoken to a number of broadcasters across the country, and, and not just radio, but, you know, uh, newsprint. You know, I'm in the market that has a local newspaper that's uh, under tremendous distress. Um, 
but let's talk about that combination. So your operation has, of course, seven very strong radio stations uh, that are doing a tremendous amount of news programming, as you uh, highlighted. Let's talk about the online presence. You mentioned at the very beginning you had taken on some uh, digital division. Can you kind of break that down for us, what your digital footprint looks like? Sure. So we have uh, only one FM licensed station, and we have three AMs with FM translators. So it's not a radio powerhouse. Uh, It's just very, very local, and people don't care how much power you have. They care what you put on it. So, uh, you know, our our radio division was limited, uh, and and we are the smallest stations in our market. We're the only locally owned uh, stations in the market. Uh, we, We complete compete with Saga Communications and Fort uh, Broadcasting. Fort's a large corporate uh, group. And so uh, we reached a point where we were staying in an oversold situation on radio. Uh, We were charging what we felt we could charge right almost up to what the 100,000 watt FM stations were charging and did not see how we could charge more than 100,000 watt FM station. And so uh, we kind of hit a roadblock, you know, where where's our growth going to come from? So we delved really, really deep into digital uh, right during the recession in, in 2008, 9, and 10. Um, we came off all satellites. We went all local. We, we program all of our stations. We don't have any birds in our company except for Fox News and sports. And, uh, and we chose to really uh, delve deeper into digital and to make ourselves uh, figure out ways to generate revenue there. So um, we were we were at six figures in digital in uh, twenty, I guess uh, twenty thirteen or fourteen, and we felt we could be way deeper than that. And so in fifteen, when I became owner, we uh, started adding more digital products. We're now about seventeen or eighteen uh, digital services, but uh, the largest parts of that. Uh, were designed to diversify. We needed another source of revenue because we were maximizing our radio already. So we saw digital like it's another radio station. And so from billing standpoint, we call our digital division WWW. So that's kind of, uh, you know, makes it in, in radio language for us. And uh, we, we have a massive um, email marketing division there, uh, 25,000 email subscribers, uh, that we send daily sports to, we send daily news stories to, we send a weekly newsletter of all the top news stories of the week. And then we also sell ads within those and we sell ads that sometimes it's just a media blast. We just blast an ad out uh, to our 25,000 subscribers uh, you know, for a rate. So that you have the email division. And then uh, we bought a digital billboard uh, in 2015. And so that put us in the billboard business. And then um, we have uh, contesting and promotions uh, that we do with Second Street, and that is a very significant form of revenue for us. Um, and then we have a deals store, an online deals store, and that's with Big Deals. And you know, big kudos to Scott and his crew at Big Deals. But uh, that the deal store has been terrific during COVID. Um, because people are looking to, they're online more, they're at home more, they have more time and they're looking for bargains and they want to stay local. They don't want to run to Nashville right now with all the things that are happening in Nashville. So they're buying more locally and it fits our support local campaign. So our online store 
has been a huge uh, shot in the arm to us uh, under our digital billing. Um, and then, you know, of course, we have all the other things that, that people have. We have the apps and we're, we're on Alexa and we, we have streaming. And, but we really do not focus on the music uh, pieces of digital. We focus on the non-music pieces, the, the email, the signage. Um, and then we created a, a, a whole new division uh, in the company uh, in 20, at the end of 2018 that is marketing services. So we do website design, we do SEO, we do social media management, we do video, drone footage, graphic design work, um, list goes on and on and on. That's a whole nother division of our company. Yeah, I, I bet. So uh, there's an awful lot there. And uh, I do appreciate you walking us through that because I, I think it gives a, people a, a well-rounded uh, understanding of what digital can mean, right? I love first that you call it like your own different radio station, right? It's a separate, uh, almost station. Yes. Uh, division in the, in the, under the roof. And, uh, the email campaign, I presume took you a little while to get up to 25,000, but that's all subscriber based, right? They all say, we want this information. Right. It's free, but they sign up for it. Uh, right. so yeah. So, so what a great way. I mean, we actually started that email, uh, mailing of a, a weekly, newsletter oh probably 12 or 15 years ago and we originally started it as a promotion we wanted to be able to promote our news product that's something we're really good at we wanted to be able to recycle our radio news into another format so if people miss the news or you know they want to see pictures and video to go with it uh we would do it as a recycled product and people started asking us can we put ads in that <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact you can so uh we started selling it and it's, it's one of our, one of the top pieces of our digital plan. Now I like to diversify. I, I, I really like to look at our business as a portfolio and I don't want us to be 95% radio and 5% everything else. I, I really want to be more diverse than that so that if radio takes a little down tick, we can pick it up somewhere else. Or if our digital billboard is off slightly, we can pick it up in email. Or if email's down a little bit, we can pick it up in contesting and promotion. Uh, I really like to diversify, and I think that's protected us a lot from the, from the uh, recession that happened in 2008 and from the pandemic, quite frankly. Yeah, and it, it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the conversation your marketplace is very diverse too, right? And so it kind of reflects the community that you're in. And, you know, if ag is having a good year, it's time to maybe do a little bit more along those lines. Um, going back to your digital division, you mentioned a digital billboard. This is a physical billboard, I presume, out on the in the streets there somewhere? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's on a, on the highway. It's an 8 by 16 board. Um we were already doing graphic design for all of our websites and for all of our newsletters. So we already were doing graphic design. So it was just a perfect fit to be able to make those files a different size and be able to put them on that billboard. So uh, we invested in the billboard in 2015. Uh, we got 100% return on our investment in 2016. And so now we're just, we're into gravy on that. And it gives us a chance to have one more platform to help our customers with their message. So we don't allow ourselves to think of of our company as a radio station or a radio station with digital. We view ourselves as a company that can help businesses with all things marketing. 
And so whatever it is our customers need to do that help them with marketing their business, we need to be in that league with them. And um, I don't necessarily want to do graphic design. I don't necessarily want to design newspaper ads or flyers and brochures. But if that's what our customers need, then we're the ones at the table willing to provide those services. So we've been able to really grow a lot of people's budgets with us because we're willing to take on everything they need us to take on from a marketing perspective. Well, and I would assume that they're, they respond to that obviously very well. It's like, oh, yes, this, you know, we got less reps to talk to and more time for me to concentrate on my business. Exactly right. And, and that's where social media is really, in my mind, the really when social media really became a major marketing tool for our customers, that's when our customers became very overwhelmed because they realized, I don't have time for Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram and still take care of my radio and my newspaper and put the flyers on the door. And I think social media is what tipped the scale for our locally owned and operated businesses to say, we have to have some help with marketing. And those, uh, you know, those stations that are still just doing radio, I think, you know, have, have missed an opportunity because our customers don't want just radio. They're not opposed to radio, but they want all of the other things that go with it. And so we put together a lot of our presentations to help them figure out how much of it needs to be radio and how much needs to be digital and how do I make those two work together to strengthen each of the uh, results uh, from each medium. Yeah. that. So how do you break that down? Do you get uh, everybody in the same room together? Are your reps trained to go out there and market the various uh, offerings you have? Do you have specialists? How, how do you orchestrate it, organize that internally? All of the above. Um, we do what's called 360 visions and strategy meetings, which are one-on-one -on -one with a client that might involve five or six people from my team. I'm, I'm normally in those meetings. Um, my director of business development's there. Uh, our digital director's there. Our program director many times is in that meeting if it's a meeting where we need to be discussing creative. Um, so we do those type of meetings that are two-hour meetings. They're lunch meetings uh, in our facility, in our, in our DJ Everett III radio room. And uh, in those meetings, you know, we, we delve really deep. I mean, we're talking about profit margins. We're talking about growth plans for those businesses. We're, in some cases, are even looking at business plans with them. You know, where is it you're trying to go in five years and can we help you get there? So uh, those are very deep level businesses, uh, business meetings. And then our, our uh, marketing specialists are in those meetings uh, for their own account. And so that really gives them excellent training and helps teach them how to have deep level conversations with their clients when they're not in our, in our building. And then uh, we spend a lot of time and effort training our marketing team. Uh, we think that sales training is the most important thing that we can do for our company. And we do most all of that in-house. Uh, we, we don't uh, we go to some conferences and we go to some sessions and, you know, for a fresh perspective, but we do a whole lot of our own training. Uh, and, and, uh, I have someone here on my team that came up through the sales department that's aspiring to be a sales manager at some point in our company. And so she's doing a lot of that training, uh, that's giving her a chance to learn more about the management side of the business. And, uh, she's just doing a terrific job for us. Well, once again, Beth, I look at that and say, huh, it all starts at the top. And it's your leadership and guidance that is, is helping making that happen. 
One other part of the what you mentioned with your digital strategy I wanted to take apart as well is the big deals. Uh, you and I were talking before we started recording the podcast that initially this interview was to be conducted in person down in Kentucky at your fine facility there as you were going to be hosting a big deals media conference. And uh, you mentioned big deals being a part of your digital strategy this concept has been around radio for some time. The big deals, media-specific uh, solution to this is one that's growing across the country. And for you, uh, I think you've been doing a couple versions of it, but now have found a, a real winner. And uh, why don't you tell us what and how uh, that's been working for you? Sure. Um, so we've had some type of deals program in our company for about seven years or so. We were with a different provider for the first five, and we switched over to Big Deals with Scott Murray uh, April 1st of last year. And basically the way uh, his program works is, you know, he's the owner of the software. It lives on our websites, and uh, we do trades with local businesses, and we run ads, marketing campaigns uh, for our local businesses in exchange for gift certificates. And then we sell those gift certificates in our store. And we can either do it as just a buy now in the store, or we can do an auction where we auction items off. And uh, we have a whole lot of tools in our toolbox that we can use to promote that deal store. Um, and so uh, we use every tool we have to sell deals year round. We sell them 365 days a year. Um, we normally have two or three sales a month. And last month, for the first time, we did an auction of um, a brand new ODE, ODE, it's like an ATV. Uh, and uh, that was a really cool thing because we did it on the last Friday of June. We sold it for $8,600, and that money went straight to my uh, bank account from a credit card. And I got to count that billing in June, which which really helped June turn out to be a great month for us right during the pandemic. So each month since um, since COVID, we've come up with new ways, new things that we could do that keep our sellers positive and optimistic, keeps our market interested in what we're doing, keeps our listeners engaged and involved with us in some way, whether that's greatest comeback or whether that's an online auction or whether that's the rally for Rotary, we've done something every single month that was that was huge to, to help keep people uh, interested and positive. And uh, I think we forget sometimes as media owners, we forget how much power we have to influence how people feel and what they think. And, you know, uh, we miss that opportunity sometimes. You know, we can drive uh, people's uh, actions and we certainly can drive their thought process by the things we say and do. And uh, so we've really tried hard to be a provider of positive information while also having to provide all of the negativity uh, of the things that have happened as a result of COVID. So you got there's a fine line there. But that deal store has just been, uh, pardon the pun, a deal maker for us uh, during COVID. And we've just done terrific with it. And, and what a great opportunity for our customers to be able to go to them and say, the only thing out of pocket expense for you is the gift certificates that you give me, which is going to drive someone in your door who will spend more than what the certificate value is. So, so it's a really good return uh, at a time that our customers are fearful 
of what COVID impact is going to have on their business. Right. They have no real cash out except cost of sale because they're giving a gift certificates, but that means they're getting their radio or marketing at half off at least. And then you also have uh, from the radio station's perspective, the thing I liked about the program was the accountability then of uh, their radio working that people are bringing these gift certificates back into those stores and they got the call letters at a radio station on them. And so (laughs) it's like, Oh, my radio's working. Right. Yeah. And from our perspective, you know, it's all done on credit card. And so it hits my account, you know, 48 hours later. So from a cash flow perspective, it's, it's fantastic because I'm I'm dumping cash in my account every day. Uh, When you, when we were fearful, uh, you know, my biggest fear probably of COVID was how long will that affect cash flow? Even businesses who stayed with us, if they were closed and they continued to advertise, will they be in a position to pay me uh, three months later, four months later? You know, when does cash flow finally hit the wall? And so this gave us a chance to keep our cash flow, you know, much stronger because we had daily daily deposits from the deal store. Yeah, and, and we're happy to hear that all is well, uh, as, we, as I mentioned um I was hoping to see your beautiful studios there. I've seen pictures, and I know it's a bit of an envy around the whole country, what you have going there. So I'm going to encourage any of our listeners, if they're driving through uh, Kate is Kentucky, to, to knock on your door there to see your facility. Hopefully, we'll make it down there sooner rather than later. Uh, Beth, I just really, truly thank you so very much for, for taking the time to share your cool radio story with us. It's, it's a phenomenal story. Um, and I am really appreciative that you took the time. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? You know, um, two things maybe is continue to look for opportunity and to not let yourselves get bogged down in what's not happening because of COVID instead focus on what could happen and, uh, what should happen. Uh, we launched a statewide radio network on March 16th. Literally on the day that COVID shut down the country, we launched a brand new radio network and it's doing very, very well. It's off to a terrific start. We're already on over 80 stations in Kentucky. Uh, and we built all of that during COVID. We built a brand new website to go with that, youragedge.com, branded the show, did all social media accounts. And so, so you know, I think that it's so easy sometimes to get bogged down in the negative and in the what can't happen and the what's not happening. And you miss opportunities to focus on what can and what might and what could, if you're willing to take the risk and make the investment and take a chance on something. I think that we, we can see a lot of radio operators really rise to the top uh, during COVID. And I think it's a new opportunity for radio to shine again. Um, the uh, DJ Evers the Third radio room that you referenced is celebrating 100 years of radio. We literally have radios for every year except 1944, starting at 1919, uh, before the first radio station signed on the air. So uh, this history, you know, is really a terrific reminder to me and to people who visit here that radio has found a way to be relevant and to be important, to matter to people for 100 years. And now, 100 years into our radio history, COVID presents itself with the chance for us to shine and to be very important and very relevant again. And so I just encourage people to really use this opportunity to do good good things with it. Well, and that is solid, solid advice, and we hope our listeners take advantage of it. And Beth, once again, 
just a tremendous story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. We're not done just yet here as we're going to help you. Uh, you just heard a whole lot about digital strategy from Beth Mann and now a little bit more from John Wansung as we dig into digital on Cool Radio Stories. It's time to dig into digital. Our segment on how you can use digital to unleash the power of your station. Here's our digital guide, John Wanzung, CEO of Radiomax. As far as having a website, you absolutely need to have one. It's just, I think things have changed a little bit about how important the website is and more about what is the information you're actually putting on the website versus how you're using mobile. People still are going to absolutely go to your website and you need to have one. And it's interesting when we look at radio, a lot of radio websites are, are not so good. And that's me being polite in the way I say that. So I think there needs to be an investment in radio to have a good-looking website, but it doesn't need to have all the bells and whistles that you used to think you need to have. You have to have the basic information, you know, your community calendar, news, how you listen to the station, how you're promoting your mobile app, links to your social media, how you're promoting your advertisers. But it doesn't have to be this huge forum where you're trying to do too much. It's the information you know that people are going to be coming to your station to get quickly. Because that's the other thing. The time spent on a website from what it was 10 years ago to five years ago to even two years ago is decreasing. It doesn't mean that as many people aren't coming to the website. It's more how much time are they spending on it. They want to get the information. They want to move on. They want to listen to the content. And more likely, they're going to want to engage through your mobile or through your social media. So having a clean website with the information that you know that your listeners want, as we just talked about, having that easily organized, easily for the people and your listeners to find is going to be your best resource. So it doesn't take a huge investment, but it's probably going to take in a lot of cases a little bit of an upgrade. But what's nice about it is the upkeep of the site is probably going to be easier than you've been used to. You're going to be pulling in an RSS feed for a lot of your news feeds. You're going to have your weather. You're going to have links to your social, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a little bit. And then just make sure that you have, you know, you're promoting your advertisers as well. That's John Wanzung, CEO of Radiomax. For more on using digital to unleash the power of your station, visit radiomax.co. Well, that wraps up another episode of Cool Radio Stories. Appreciate you listening. My name is Tom Dobrez. I'm the owner of Cool Radio Streaming. If you're looking to stream your radio stations, your high school sports, whatever it may be, look us up online, coolradiostreaming.com. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.